You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, my name is Julie Neff, and I make music for a living. Julie Neff is a singer-songwriter based in Toronto. After establishing herself as a successful video producer, she found herself at a personal and professional crossroads. Instead of making the obvious choice, she took a chance that changed her trajectory. Today, Julie travels the world writing songs, collaborating with other creators, and performing her music. Here's my chat with Julie Neff. Who are you and what do you make for a living? <laughs> that is a difficult question. Uh, my, my name is Julie Neff and I'm a musician. I'm also a video producer. So how'd you get started as a musician? As a musician, I, so I always sang um, growing up. I was always kind of singing and dancing and doing my thing. And then I like to say I took a sabbatical during high school um, for my creative side. And I played a lot of sports and I still sang at church. I did a lot of um, harmonies and stuff for the worship worship band there. And then, yeah, and then when I got to university, I met a few people in first year who we would start playing together at open mics. And eventually, um, I actually started singing with this one guy because he was amazing, an amazing songwriter, but would had such stage fright that he wouldn't go up there by himself. So I went with him and I sang harmonies with him. And then we ended up starting a band um, called What She Said that did really, really well for a few years. And it was a ton of fun. And yeah, it was kind of like funk rock reggae. Like it was all over the place. There was eight of us and we all brought a different genre and we just plugged it right in. Like made almost no effort to blend it. Um, was it like literally one song was punk, one was reggae, one was something else, one was something else? No, I mean, I, I think... Yeah, God, I don't even know. We used know. To punk I just songs think, with a saxophone in there too. Literally, we did have a baritone <laughs> saxophone, and we had a rapper, and we had a key, sure. two guitars, bass, drums, and two vocalists. So we did, we did whatever, you know. Travel light. Um, yeah, travel light, and you know, it was complicated. I think uh, with eight people and the way that we started, it was just there was no leadership or there was no i guess unified leadership so i think that made it a little bit problematic um we were amazing on stage we had huge crowds people loved to dance to us where were you playing is mostly on campus uh no all around guelph and toronto sometimes and kingston but yeah we played it i don't know if you have been to guelph but the old old club denim which is now they they change the name every year, but it's like we played like thousand people shows there. Like people were into it. What happened? How did it fall apart? Literally every rehearsal was very fraught with tension because of just competing ideas in like the lead department. So that was that was tricky. And I actually I was moving to Spain. That's what we said. Secret. Uh, that's what we said happened but like i left because i was like i can't be in these rehearsals where we don't actually rehearse and everyone just fights all the time and i love those guys like i'm still friends with them but it was yeah it was just i think at the time it just kind of had gone gone its course and just everyone had a different idea of what they wanted out of it and that's for a band like that's a really tough thing to to carry on when everyone has a different goal in mind right what was the sort of range of goals like what were people well, the like the my friend Nick, bless his heart, who originally didn't want to perform, like still didn't want to perform. So <laughs> it's like we forced him to perform for years, and like he still won't. Like now, he'll he'll barely do it. He writes, he'll ghostwrite for people, which is really cool. Um, he's an amazing songwriter, um, but not a huge fan of performing. So they occasionally 
they like changed shape and changed their name to the prenup, um, which like they're all super, super talented. And so they still do some shows, which is fun. And then we had uh, actually, you know, I think Daniel Burzen. Um, yeah, I know that. Name. He worked at Loop for a little bit uh, freelance, but he's so he was like really into advertising even back then. And so he would, he just wanted this to be like a big band. And so he promoted the shit out of it. So we got these like huge followings, but then there was just like other, you know, other people who just, it was kind of low key for them or whatever. And that's fine. Like, you know, we did have a lot of fun, um, but there was also just some tension that I think is not sustainable over the long, the long haul. Yeah. And I had graduated at that point. So I, I left and I moved to Spain and I never wrote either. So up until then I was not a writer per se. And they would ask me to write. And I, that was a point of tension as well. But they were like, help us write. And I was like, I don't write music. <laughs> like, how dare you ask me to contribute creatively <laughs> to this process? Well, and that's so different than now, though, because I know. now you're right. You're almost exclusively you're writing all your stuff and you're playing all your stuff. Yes. Were you playing guitar back then? No. So I started a little bit. I learned a little bit of guitar in university, but it wasn't significant. I'm horrible at practicing. Like discipline is not my strong suit. So see kids, you don't need to practice to be successful. See kids. Uh, yeah. So when I moved to Spain, I kind of like took it as an opportunity to kind of rethink what I wanted to do. Um, so I, and I graduated from university of Guelph with a degree in Hispanic studies. So I wanted to move to Spain to sort of solidify my knowledge in uh, that language and ended up joining the most random band while I was there, this very obscure bluegrass band uh, that would literally cover songs from like the U S from the sixties and seventies that I had never heard of. Like it wasn't even the famous ones. It was the ones that nobody knows about. So I would sing harmonies. You remember any of them now? No, of course not. So I'd sing some harmonies for them. Yeah. And then I don't know, I think I played maybe a little bit of guitar that year, but nothing like publicly. And then a lot of things like went on in my life that year. I went through like a big breakup. I had to have like a major surgery when I was in Spain. And then I still was on this journey of figuring out like what I wanted to do with my life, which was always, always a challenge for me. Like I think I was always pretty split down the middle sort of between the science brain and the creative brain. And I didn't know how to make those two kind of work for each other. So when I moved back from Spain, I was just lost, you know, and I think that's very common, you know, after people graduate or like move on from something that's very structured, it's, um, can be difficult to know kind of what to do next. So I decided to move to Toronto without a full-time job and because I had a one month contract at TIFF and I like signed a lease for a year <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. Like I'll get a like serving job or something. It'll be fine. And it's not that easy, it turns out. So I finished my contract with TIFF and then I found it really, really challenging to find a serving job. I think it was like October or whatever, whenever TIFF ends. So I ended up like that year just being super underemployed and I found different jobs and had like some cool experiences. But it was a really a year of like stripping back my own self-worth and identity outside of what do you do for a living, which is so such a common question when you meet people here, right? It's like, oh, hey, I'm Julie. Like, what do you do? And I didn't have an answer for that question that I liked. So I would say like, what do you do for fun? Or I would try to ask other questions that ironically made other people very uncomfortable because they're like, <laughs> I don't have any time to be fun outside of my job. So yeah, so it was, 
it was a an emotionally intense year and at the end of it is kind of when I started writing music. So I, I really didn't know what else to do. I think I was at that point of needing to work through things and just finding music as a way to do that. And uh, so I started writing a little bit and I met this producer in the U.S. Uh, my sister was living in the U.S. at the time. And so I met someone through her and we started working together a little bit. And then I ended up getting a job uh, in video production at Loop Media, which is where you and I met. Right. And I was kind of at the point, I was thinking I was about to leave Toronto. Like I was like, I was like, I'm going to move to Montreal and work with youth and like learn French. And uh, Sonia, our boss called me with, uh, with this job opportunity. And I called my sister and I was like, I don't know. I don't really know if like office jobs are for me. And she was like, if you don't take this friggin' job, I swear to God, like <laughs> she was so mad. At me. She's like, I, she's like, you've been so lost and now you have an opportunity. Like what is wrong with you? So I was like, fine, I'll take it. But I had already gotten rid of my apartment. So I was commuting for a while from Guelph and I would write lyrics on the train. So I would find like I would, you know, record voice notes or whatever on my phone. And then while I was on the train, I would just like write lyrics on my iPad. And it was like a really nice time to be able to kind of work on that with some quiet and without the internet to distract me and all of those things. So that's kind of, yeah, when I started writing, that's a very long winded answer to your question. It's a very long show. It's so great. It works out just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I figure you're going to, you know, get to these things eventually. So we might as well talk <laughs> through. Um, but yeah, so working, so working in that job, it was initially as a, an office manager. And then I started producing small projects um, just out of necessity for uh, the staffing that was, that was there and just different changes that were happening. And, and that was a really cool window into the creative process. So working with, clients and solving design challenges and solving communication challenges and how to tell stories and all of those things. It was really cool for me to see that up close and personal and see how you can make mistakes and you can fail and you can pick yourself back up again and then you can, you know, carry on. So yeah, from there is, is when I started producing some songs with that first producer in the States. And then... So while you were working producing commercials and websites and various things... You were also at night, you were going home and you were actually making music long distance with this producer. Yeah. And I would take trips down there to see my sister and then, and then work on, um, work on that music as well. And we, we only netted out with a couple songs, um, but it was a really important phase for me. It was this, this guy is super, super talented and he went to Berkeley college of music. And so I figured like, if he thinks these songs are okay, then like, you know, maybe they're okay. When you start writing or start creating anything really like obviously a lot of the first stuff that you make is like not that good and that's okay. And then you move on and you write more, you know, but it's a very vulnerable, at least for me, it was a very vulnerable process of sharing that work with someone and, and actually like trying to make it a thing. And so he did a really great job of working with me and we did a little bit of co-writing on one of the tracks as well, which helped a lot. Like he had all this training in songwriting, which I had never had. So being able to, you know, really like structure the story of a song and figure out what it is that you're trying to say and all of that stuff was, um, was really important. So that was a, a cool beginning for me of, of kind of going from there. But I remember meeting someone who, who was supposed to maybe potentially help me with music. And he was like, he's like, what do you want? And I couldn't answer him. And so like, I literally like, I didn't know. And I think 
from there, it was another few years before I really figured that out. And then that's when I like really started taking music seriously. I'm kind of curious about where the inspiration is coming from. I mean, I know you said you had a, a tough year and that that spurred words to to start flowing. But is that is that where you always go to? Do you go do you do you always look to your personal life? Is that where you're getting your your messages and your stories? I mean, I think so far that's definitely been the case. And so after that, after those first couple songs that I produced, I found I found for me working in the sort of the project manager producer role. I remember one time we were submitting uh, like a proposal to a company uh, to do some work. And I had really been like thrust into this role. It wasn't something that I pursued at all. So they had this diagram in the proposal that was like a big blue circle in the middle with my name on it, Julie Neff, broadcast (laughs) producer. And then like every other department, the president of the company, like, you know, the client, the strategy, the creative, all of this stuff all the way around me. And this like write up that was like, Julie Neff is the hub of our project, like blah, blah, blah. And I literally said to them at the time, I was like, please don't send that to them. Like, how dare you? And everyone's like, Julie, that's your job. Like, I don't know why you don't know that. And I was like, I don't want that to be true. So I think working for me, there were a lot of challenges and a lot of interpersonal challenges. And it really forced me to grow emotionally and to mature a lot. And so I think there was a lot to work through. And I really, you know, use that time and and outside, I think, in my personal life as well, like with obviously different relationships and different friendships and things. A lot. I love the people who can like create from a really positive place. And I think eventually I'll get there. But uh <laughs> you know, as, as of right now, it's really been therapy for me. So, so that time just like had a ton of, I guess, like motivation to create and to have an outlet. And I, even for a while there, like I would come home, I was so stressed out. I would come home and like belt it out to Florence and the machine for like an hour and a half when I got home, you know, and just to like have some sort of release. Um, so the first EP I created was called catharsis. So it was really that process, right. Of, getting all the feelings out there you're not necessarily sure how you're going to deal with it yet but like you need to let them go and you need to release them and and then i've since written a new ep that's coming out later this year that has a little bit more of an edge to it i think i think what i've learned in my years of producing and and other parts of my personal life is the the necessity for boundaries and healthy boundaries you know and and saying when enough is enough so so yeah, I dive into some of those other themes, but I think creatively too, like inspiration, it comes for me, like when I'm in motion. So it comes when I'm walking down the street, if I'm exploring on a Saturday afternoon, just kind of like wandering around, like I will be walking down the street and trying to like covertly sing into my voice note on my phone, <laughs> like <laughs> or pretend that I'm on my phone, but just like singing into the phone. Cause that's what other people do when they're walking down the street. That's weird too, though. To just yes. sing into your phone, even no, if there is someone on the other end, that's still weird. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. ever, as you're going through and you're writing these songs and you're you're processing these emotions, do you ever run into or worry about running into a lack of them? You know, I mean, at a certain point, I'd like to hope that you're going to have no more sad songs to write, <laughs> no yeah. more bad things to write about. And if that happens, do you, do you worry that you maybe won't have any more songs in you? You know, I think it's not just from pain and sadness. Like, I think it's from life experience and for me, I've, because I've always worked also as a producer and traveled a lot and did different things and pursued other experiences. I think that in and of itself is going to give you inspiration. So, you know, 
I'm not really worried about that. I, I do cherish the day when I can write like truly hundred percent positive songs. But I think that's not maybe also an appropriate reflection of life. Like narrative tension is, is just how life goes, you know, like that's, there's always a counterpoint. And I think, I don't think that's negative. You know, I think that's, that I think that's a, still a good thing. I had an Uber driver once who I think I was Ubering to work with my guitar or something. And so he was asking about my music and he played it on Spotify while I was in the car. This has happened more than once. And it's like, you're always like a little bit nervous, you know? You're just always walking goes. around with a guitar just so people will do this. A hundred percent. You want to talk marketing? That's how. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he played the music and he was a poet himself. And I wish I got his name because he said the most beautiful thing. He was like, he's like, this sounds like music to fix your life too. And I was like, oh, and I think that's it. You know, I think, I think that you can write really beautiful stuff that has both, you know, and, and, and sometimes at least this phase or the first couple of phases for me have been the need to express things that aren't hundred percent positive or even, you know, with this new music, it's a little bit angry at some points. And I, I don't think that's bad. I think we need to expel that. Sometimes we need to feel that in order to be frustrated enough to move on or to make changes. And for me, anyways, that's been a really good thing to highlight and, and to learn how to articulate those feelings, which is, I think what music does for so many of us, whether or not we're writing it. How has travel impacted your writing and the music that, that's come out? I love, well, I love to experience other cultures. I think uh, traveling in and of itself can be a little bit stressful at times, but I think anytime you're seeing new spaces and new, you know, visual inspiration and listening to new languages, like that's been huge. I think this is maybe one of the things that has impacted from like a business side, my music the most, which is that a few years ago, I went on a trip to France for a wedding uh, with a friend of mine and my brother ended up joining us. And as often happens, I ended up falling in love with a, a tall Swedish man at 3 a.m. at a karaoke bar. <laughs> and um, Happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. Um, later on, we, found, we fell for each other like really quickly and it was like very extreme infatuation. And he booked a flight to visit me. I booked a flight to visit him. And he turned out a few weeks later, I got like a message from this girl on Facebook that was like, uh, why are you talking to my boyfriend? And I was like, uh, what? So I ended up with this non-refundable wow air flight to Sweden. And at the time it was sort of, I guess like three and a half years into my career at this company. And I really wasn't in a position, I had literally just gone to France and I wasn't in a position financially to take this trip without, you know, somewhere to stay on the other end. So initially I was thinking, oh, I just won't go. And a little background. So I had been hosting acoustic concerts in my house for the past like year and a half before that. And we had been thinking about turning it into something more, maybe a record label, like who knows, kind of exploring some different options. So yeah, so I get closer to this ticket that I can't do anything with. And I think, you know, the biggest barrier to getting to Europe is the flight. So why don't I just go and I'll sit in a cafe. I'll go to Denmark after I'll sit in a cafe for a week and like research music business and find some rehearsal space and just kind of work on this idea that's kind of coming together. 
And then a couple of days before the trip, I was asking a friend of mine to play at one of our concerts. And she said, oh, sorry, I can't. I'm going to be in Europe. And I was like, oh, I'm going to Europe too. Oh, my God. And she's like, uh, I'm like, where are you going to be? And she says, oh, I'm playing at a music conference in Sweden. And I was like, no way. So I I Googled this thing. I immediately, the only page in English was uh, to sign up as an industry delegate. So I was like, obviously, I can be that person. (laughs) So I signed up as an industry delegate under Eclectic Comfort, which was our concert series. And I made business cards. And I just went and I just networked the shit out of that conference. And I met all these, like, I met her for a drink, like, initially. And then it was just, like, ping pong, like, just meeting all these different people. And it was truly incredible. And I think, you know, at the time, because I had zero expectations, you know, I was just going into this. I signed up for every workshop. I went to every panel and went to shows. And it was really cool. Made some really great friends. So from there, I can like honestly say that from there is where most of my sort of music business opportunities have come from since then. In a short format, we ended up going back to Sweden to film a documentary about a woman who had made an album with women in prison. So that was incredible. And then someone else I met at the conference invited me to a festival here called Indie Week. And within an hour and a half of being there, they invited us to go to South America. And did you, you went to all of these things. You just kind of let it flow. Yeah, we just let it flow. And the South America trip was a big stretch. So this is the same year I had gone to France and then to Sweden twice. And then they're like, come to South America. And I was like, pay us to make a video about it. They were like, okay. (laughs) Like, okay. But it wasn't nearly enough to like justify the cost of everyone we were bringing, but we just kind of went with it anyway. Um, And they also had me play at these shows. So we went to Chile and Argentina and I was asked to play and I was not nearly ready to be playing at those kind of things. But, you know, I kind of had been like playing living rooms for the past year. And I was like, well, I guess now is as good a time as any. Was this the first time you were really doing larger scale solo show kind of things? I literally think that my first show that wasn't in my living room was on the riverbanks of Chile. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Yeah, so it was a weird, it was a weird trajectory where I think, as seems to happen a lot in my life, where I'll get thrust into things before I'm ready for them. But I think that's the case. Like, I think that's important as a side note for anyone listening. Like, there are so many things you're not going to be ready for, and or you're rarely going to be ready for most of the things you do. Is maybe a better way to phrase that. And I think that's okay. Like, ante up, you know, get ready. If the time that you have to prepare, just like use it and. So I met a ton of people on that trip. And prior at the other festival, we had filmed this Brazilian band who turned out to be like medium famous in Brazil. And then we went on this this tour to Chile and Argentina and met a ton of people there. And that really spiraled to the point where I ended up getting invited to play in Brazil the following year, um, like flown down to play in Brazil at a festival called Festival Coma. And, and that was really a time where I was like, okay, I've released one song and I need to, if they think that I'm ready for this, I need to be ready for this. You're, you're flying around the world. You're going to these different things and you're, and you're doing all these different performances and you're meeting all these people. Like, how is this all kind of coming together? Are you doing all of this by yourself? Did you start collecting people who are helping you along the way? Yeah. So with, with the concert series that we had, it was called Eclectic Comfort. And 
my roommate and I at the time, Emily um, and myself, we would host the concerts and then we had people come together and volunteer to be a part of it. So we had a, a videographer um, named Justin and then we had a couple of other guys who would work on visuals and audio, Adam and Andrew and, and some other people who ended up contributing as well. Um, so for the trips, it would typically be Emily, Justin, and myself. So Emily would direct all of the things visually for us. Um, she's really amazing, um, director and yeah, so we, we would go on these trips together and it was, it was amazing. And at the time really lovely to have those people around, like they were just so supportive and, um, really pushed me a lot to, to be ready for things, which was super helpful. Um, but yeah, we would be meeting people together. So we would go to different things and, uh, honestly us filming other artists is what opened a lot of doors, uh, for me as a musician. So we would just meet all these people and especially the Brazilians, like we ended up filming a few different Brazilian bands and Indie Week would bring bands up here. And so we, that's how I ended up getting the invite to play at that concert, uh, sorry, that festival. And then part of the deal also was that we flew down our videographer and, and Emily as well. And we, we judged this like pitch contest um, and filmed a few bands from the festival also. In terms of like management, I didn't really have one, but I know that, you know, Emily did take on a lot of, a lot of things for me. And, and that year also we had gone to Dublin. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was just like meeting people. And I think from my experience being a project manager and working with clients so much, like that part of like the networking part of it was the part I was probably the most comfortable with because I was like, I know how to do this part. So what was the hardest part then? Well, I think there's a few tough parts. So number one tough part definitely is money always. Um, and because of that sort of really big year where right before I went to Sweden again, I quit my job. So I, it was a time where flying back from that conference, I was just like, I can't, I had been burnt out for a long time. And I was like, I don't think this is right for me anymore. And so I decided to quit. And then we spent a few months kind of doing these trips and, and then January rolls around and it's like, we were selling some video stuff, but it wasn't enough really to sustain and I think especially in the music field like there's just not the budgets and I think also like probably I priced this out of a lot of jobs so I decided to freelance for like high-end post-production facilities and that was a great a great call because they can take you for like two weeks or three months and I ended up lucking out really well with the first company I worked for and they they were really lovely to me and, and would give me good contracts and also good time off uh, to do what I needed to do. So money is a challenge. And then on the creative side, at the beginning, it was a challenge for me to decide what it was that I wanted things to sound like or to look like and to learn how to be a client and to learn how to, you know, to articulate my own vision for what I wanted to do. And I was always trying to really like not offend anyone, I guess, and allow them to feel like they were contributing, which is important, but more important is that you know what you want to communicate with the thing that ultimately will have your name on it, which is something that I had to learn over the course of time. Um, and then, yeah. And then just like performing on different scales and playing guitar on stage was always super nerve wracking for me. Um, but I always felt like it was important, especially as a woman, I think, but e equally just when it's your own music, I think it's kind of important to set the pace 
yeah, so I ended up playing at this amazing festival for 80 people in a planetarium. And it was like the most incredible experience. <laughs> just like very surreal. And I knew at the time, which I didn't tell them, but I was like, this is premature for my career. Absolutely. But, you know, I just made the most of it and hired, I hired like photographer and I hired a videographer to like do content around this trip. And, you know, as you know, the more you look like you're doing the thing, you end up just doing the thing. Well, and that leads me to the marketing side of things because a lot of stuff that had come to you to this point had been by good fortune and by making a lot of networking and, and, and face-to-face opportunities. And you can't always do that. You can't always be yeah. in the right place at the right time. So, you know, what do you do to market yourself, to promote yourself, to get stuff out there? Yeah, that's a super tricky question. And one that I think I'm continuously learning. And I think everyone is right. Especially in this day and age where there's like, a million different artists kind of trying to get their stuff out there, which is great. Like it's, it's an equalizer in the sense that we are able to all do this. If if that's something that we want to do. Um, But it does make it more difficult to kind of cut through, you know, and, and reach people in a certain way. So I would say that there are a few different tactics. So there's playing shows obviously is a big part of it. And what I've really enjoyed, I think, and have been the most successful is being able to collaborate with different organizations to do those shows. So whether it's like a concert hosting series like Artery or like we used to do with Eclectic Comfort or So Far or um, what's the other one? Side Door Access. Those are more intimate settings where there are people who are showing up who just genuinely are interested in music and they want to be there. They're paying to be there and you have a really captive audience. So I think that's a really great way to sort of build organically build genuine fans, you know, and people who, who will be interested in you longer term. I have to say just that when I was playing, which is a thousand years ago now, we fought really hard to get on opening slots at, at good venues the Horseshoe and yeah. El Macombo and, and, and various places. And, and you know, and, and then there was the two festivals. There was North by Northeast and there was Canadian Music Week, which we were fortunate to play on a, on a couple of different occasions. But other than that, you just fought for opening slots. Yeah. Flash forward 20 years and, you know, you've got people getting together with 30, 40 people in a backyard with uh, a couple of cases of beer and, you know, mm-hmm. some lights up. And it's amazing what kind of effect you can have. It's amazing what kind of evening you can put forward and yeah and experience right together yeah yeah and I think and I do think it's important to play in venues as well and I have for sure and I I tend to host my own shows for the most part and then sometimes I'll I'll partake in other things yeah there's pros and cons to that like the the painted lady has been great because they don't charge you anything to be there so they just um and they have amazing sound and it's like beautiful I hosted my EP release there but yeah, so show-wise, it, it can be really tricky, and it can be really tricky in Toronto, to be very honest. Um, it's not, I would say, these days, like, the most welcoming scene for live music, I think, well, especially right now, um, with the world crisis that we're having, it's, it's, it's not really happening at all. But yeah, so live shows can be tricky, they can end up costing you money, and that's not necessarily, like, that's why those, these other platforms are so amazing. But I think you should get comfortable doing both. And then social media obviously is important. I think it has its major issues in terms of algorithms and different things. You have to really try to break through. But again, I think wherever you're collaborating, like you end up following people on Instagram or you meet people and then they follow you on Instagram. And like, I think you you kind of gain 
more and more that you're out and about just doing things and even contributing or being a part of other people's shows, I think really helps. That's a, another beautiful organic way to do it. And then I've also done at different times, obviously, like run ads on Instagram and Facebook. And have you had success with that? A little bit. It's again, sometimes really hit and miss. Like I think I did it a lot around my EP release. I did some, I got on some blogs and stuff. I think that's another great way. And then I also did a lot around, I released a music video last year. And so I did a lot of promotion around that, but I would say still though, it's, it's, it's being in different places and sort of tapping into different audiences. And for me, the audience in Brazil ended up being like, they're just, their fan culture is so strong there that it was, you know, it was a market that I was super interested in returning to and ended up returning to last year. But, you know, now that I'm looking forward to the release of this next EP, I'm trying to do things a little bit better. Um, last year I did get on the radio a few times and I, I hired someone to promote me for that which again, like is a risk because you don't know if it's going to work. And then you also don't get that money back for like royalty money for at least a year. So I've now started receiving um, money back for something that I put out there in July of last year, which is great. And I'm super grateful to be getting that back because um, it's very easily something I could not have recuperated. But that's a good point is to, if you're going to write songs, you're going to be on radio. Definitely. You want to register your songs for things like, was it SoCan and ASCAP? Yes, and absolutely. Yeah. So SoCan is what is what we use here in Canada. Um, so you definitely want to register that. There's also some other things I'm still learning about, which is like neighboring rights. And so there's like third party organizations that you can register with to collect those. Um, so yeah, so for this next release, I am focusing a little bit on radio. Um, I'm trying to use someone who it who pitches to more because um, the one I, I used last year wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily pitching to a lot of different stations. And then also, um, you can pitch to Spotify playlists if you have things set up early enough. So um, once you set it up through your distributor, um, and it shows up as an upcoming release, Spotify for artists allows you to pitch to playlists. So I'm going to be trying that out. Do you have your own label? Are you doing your own publishing? Is, is, is everything? It's under all your me. Roof? Yeah, it's all under, under me. So you can also do this thing, uh, use this thing called submit hub, which allows you to submit to a ton of different music blogs, uh, for like a dollar each kind of thing. And then they, you pay so that they have to review it and respond to you as to yes or no and why. So that's, that's another good opportunity. Um, and then, yeah, I'll be definitely running some ads, um, on the different platforms, but it's very hit and miss. And I think, I think in this climate, especially right now, like I've hired a, a consultant, a manager consultant occasionally to kind of give me some guidance. And she made a really salient point recently, which was, you need to focus right now on building sustainable income. And if you're going to be spending any money on someone to help you with this release, you have to be a hundred percent confident in what they're offering, like what they're bringing to the table. And I think, you know, there's a lot, especially with all the different conferences and stuff that I've gone to, there's a lot I can do myself. Like there's a lot of people that I know now in the industry that I can email with this release and, and reach out to. And, and I've already done that with, you know, being featured on different things, like with my distributor and asking them to help me out. And I think strategically putting yourself out there to say like, okay, 
for instance, like, oh, this is what I could do for you. Like I could write this blog post and then you could feature this and it would be around the time of my release. Or could I be featured on your podcast or could I be featured on whatever? And I think um, just use the contacts that you have. I think that's a big part of it as well. And then if there's someone you really want to talk to, just reach out to them. I think people are way more open than you think they are. And, you know, I've made contacts in the DMs on Instagram. Like that's a real place that people do business now too. So yeah, maintaining relationships is absolutely vital. I mean, the second you make a connection, you want to make sure that you help it flourish because it's so easy to let it wither on the vine online. I mean, you just, you assume that they don't want to hear from you or they they assume you assume that they're not going to respond. But the truth is a lot of people do. They're there for that reason to communicate. Totally. And I think that's honestly like one of the biggest pieces of advice I could say, especially when you're going to, even if you're on it at it, like a zoom panel, if you're going to any of these conferences or things and like number one, I think when you're going to conferences and you're meeting people, networking really is, as you know, it's it's relationship building. So you are first and foremost just trying to have an interesting conversation that may have nothing to do with what you're selling. And that is and probably should have nothing to do with what you're selling because you want to show genuine interest in the other person, what they're about. You want to connect on a personal level so that eventually yeah like maybe you end up talking about business but you'll probably more often than not be talking about oh that crazy restaurant we were at when that weird band was playing or you know like connecting on these other random things like i ended up i was at canadian music week two years ago and someone i had met in chile was there and he he's from mexico and so i was like oh let's hang out one of these days and uh, I was like, oh, I can give you like a little tour of Toronto. And he was like, oh, I'm going to bring a couple of friends from Mexico. Is that okay? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So he brought these other two guys and I took them around to like little Nicky's. And then we went to um, to see the cherry blossoms and all this stuff. And we ended up having like just such a great time. We are just laughing so much and just made like genuine friendships. And uh, we had been joking about the DJ that was playing in the lobby of this conference um, and how my friend was like, oh, we should make this guy famous and blah, blah, blah. So we were just like, uh, you know, messing around with different ideas the whole time. And so I ended up starting like a WhatsApp group after this conference was over, like saying this DJ's fan club kind of thing. And we kept up this friendship for like a year. And one of the guys like friends band came to Toronto. And so I went and met up with them. And then that person ended up booking me a show in Mexico. So it's like, you just never know. And it's going to take time. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that I think people do wrong is like, immediately upon meeting people, they're like, how can you help me? You know, like, that is not, that is not the angle. Like, it's like, you gotta just, at least for me, that's more of my style is like, just meet the connect with them as humans and then see where it goes and see what, what it is that they do. And, and, you know, at the very, at the very least you've made a good friendship and someone to meet up with when you go to that country and or that place. Um, but yeah. And then on the zoom panels, like I found like in those side chat bars, like there's actually a lot you can do um, there and just people that, you know, they're like, oh, Hey, I'm here from such and such. And just like write down their email, whatever they're putting in that thing you know, you're welcome to have it. They've given it to you in that entire group that's there. So I think just paying attention to like where you may have common interests as well is important. With all of this going on between writing, running your business, the playing, 
distributing, producing? How do you actually get it done in a day? I mean, how do you find time for yourself? You know, Roby, that's an excellent question. Um, so <laughs> I can know for you, Julie. You know, I'm I appreciate about you. it. I also am worried <laughs> about me. Um, I was saying the past like year and a half, two years, I 100% did too much. So there is no question that for me in the past year and a half has been like, has been an overdoing it kind of phase. I have been really fortunate with the job contracts that I've received. Like I was able to get like a longer term contract where they would actually give me time off to work on music. So I take like a full month off at some point um, to travel or to do whatever. But I think what I realized was that I just felt this need to like keep up the pace at all times. And that kind of drove me into the ground physically. So that wasn't necessarily the best call, but I do think for me anyways, carving out dedicated time for the thing is important. So whether that's like, you know, you get a job that is four days a week or, or you're able to, you know, work structure, however you need to structure your day, I think that's fine. But for me, that's how I've done it so far. And so like last year I worked until October and then I took three months off to uh, record an EP and do a bit of traveling. And then I ended up going on tour to Brazil, um, in December. And, and actually my tour to Brazil brought me another job in producing because I had this connection with Brazil. I ended up getting a, a three month contract with a company here that has an office in Brazil. So I went back to Brazil this year, um, to work for them for a few months. So now I think with this sort of forced slowdown, I'm really evaluating a lot of those things again, to be honest, about what it means to be productive. And I think in a society where we're all maybe forced to be a little bit overproductive at all times, and we feel like we don't have value if we're not productive, then it can be really tricky. But I think the biggest thing for me has been deadlines. Like I need, I need, I need public if not public, then <laughs> at least with another person, like I need external accountability. Like that's my 100%, you know, I'm trying to get better and more disciplined about doing things on my own. But for the most part, it's like, okay, I'll book a meeting with my PR person in Brazil. And so I have to prepare all the things for her. So I just book that a few days in advance. And then I just have to get my shit together, you know, um, or having meetings with other musicians who maybe are in the same boat and just encouraging each other and, and sharing ideas and different things like that. But I think it's tricky to have, in my case, like two jobs that are very people focused and have a lot of emotional energy output. So that's something I've learned that I have to figure out a new balance for because it's too much. Like it's there's a limit. Everybody's there's a limit. A, a capacity. Yeah. And I want to be able to be present. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Like when I get on these tours, sometimes I'm already so exhausted because I've just been like, you know what it's like, like working in advertising is insane. And it's like, you're already like managing so many people's emotions. And then you have to like, sometimes leave work and go play a show that evening. And it's sometimes you don't have much left to give. Uh, and sometimes it can just be a really healing and like lovely experience. But sometimes when you're running that quickly, it actually costs you more money because you don't have time to do things by yourself or you don't have energy or mental focus to be able to like do anything outside of your job. So you're paying out the, you know, where to, to do these things that otherwise you could do by yourself. So I think it's really just like creating good boundaries. And I'm learning a lot more about personal finance and just how to like plan effectively. Do you set goals? 
like longer term goals? You said you you set meetings and put deadlines in place to to make yourself accountable and have to do mm-hmm. stuff and get it done. But what about looking forward? Oh yeah, I definitely set goals, and I and this year I've been a little bit well, I had goals, but they changed. Um, <laughs> but not not really. Like I I always have bigger goals, and sometimes too many. But yeah, like I think I'm about to fulfill like the requirements for this this grant that I got last year. And so they ask you like, did you meet your goals for last year? And like, yeah, I totally did. Like I wanted to tour in Brazil. I wanted to tour in Mexico. I wanted to record an EP. Like I did all of those things. So I think it's definitely important to look on a broader scale. And one thing I learned a few years ago was to try to break your goals down for the year based on the quarter. So like saying like two to three goals per quarter was maybe a reasonable thing. Um, to to reach for keep them manageable but yeah it's always to be honest it's always a struggle and i think what i've tried to get better at in the past few years is like recognizing where it's really good that i have vision it's really good that i have like these crazy insane visions of like what i'm going to be in the future and do but sometimes the the gap between that expectation and what is reality right now can be really disappointing so i think understanding that like and appreciating the steps along the way has been something I've been trying to practice, which is great. Like it's, it's cool to look back and have examples of like, Oh, I really wanted to do this thing. And now I did it. And like, that's awesome. Now I can move on to something else. And so at this point, then I'm going to throw back all the way to the beginning of our conversation and ask you, what do you want? Do you know? What do I want? Yeah, I do know. I, I really want to, I want to continue to make music and I want to, I want to sell my music a lot for film and TV. So that's been something I've been working on um, different contacts for in the past while. And I just want to continue to collaborate with people in other, uh, in other countries and locally. And I also am working on a potential show idea in, I also really love fashion and sewing and different things. So I've been working on a, a bit of a show idea for that and sort of incorporating that with some of my music stuff but I want to create a sustainable life I think on on every level so income wise but also just energy wise and alignment I think alignment is really something I've learned a lot about in the past few years and how our bodies react to when we are living lives that aren't aligned with either our values or you know our um, creative gifts I think that's something that um, is really important so what sort of advice would you give to somebody who's wanting to get into music, wanting to play, write? That is a broad question. Um, I only ask broad yeah. questions. <laughs> you only ask. Yes, you are a good interviewer. Open-ended. <laughs> Open-ended. Open-ended questions. Um, <laughs> for me, getting into music, I really had to figure out why it was important. You know, and, and some people would argue with this, the fact that like, if you want to make art, make art. And I do think that's true. Uh, but I think when it comes to promoting art and putting it out there, that's you have to figure out why you're doing it. And for me, one of the motivating factors other than loving to do it was how many people I got to collaborate with and see them do what they were really good at because I was doing what I was good at. So I think figuring out what it is that's important to you, what you value. And, you know, if you just want to start making music, I think just start making music like you know, find where somewhere and start like singing weird voice notes into your phone or walking down the street or learning how to play a guitar, whatever. 
but yeah, I think if you want to actually get into it, I think just start playing and start finding little shows to play. I played at a lot of little open mics and I think that's a great way to try things out and see how people respond. And, you know, it's not all about the other person responding, but it is an exchange, you know, it's an exchange of energy. And I think when I first started playing, there were people who would cry and I was so upset. I was like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, no, this is good. I needed to cry. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that me writing this sad song could give someone an emotional outlet that they needed. So, you know, I think sometimes just doing is, is really what um, illuminates a path for you and helps you figure out different things. But I think for, yeah, for any other musician who's kind of uh, stuck at home right now, there's so many free resources right now. So many of the showcase festivals are doing their stuff online for free. So I think it's a great year to educate yourself and just to take in a lot of information and just learn. I think that's the the best way to just kind of dive in and that will inspire you to kind of move forward and figure out next steps. So where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at Julie Neff Music. So that's J-U-L-I-E-N-E-F-F Music. You can also find me there on Facebook or you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, really anywhere digitally you get your music youtube i'm on there as well as julie Neff. well thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living thanks roby thanks for having me subscribe to making a living show at apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts follow along at instagram facebook twitter and youtube and if you like what you hear please share the show with someone you know making a living show is produced by next exit media and hosted by me roby levy thanks for listening